sure that they are better believers in harmony with each other. And I think some of the things that he says are just really interesting here. So he says, uh, you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pain begins, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. Thank God. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness in the night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing our helmet, the salvation, or I'm sorry, the helmet of our salvation, which is the, our confidence in our salvation. Forgive me. Uh, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep might live within him. Which is Amen. grace beyond my understanding. Thank you so much, God, for all that you do for us. So, uh, Pastor Mark, just pray. It was an awesome prayer, but I'd like to say a little prayer as well. Uh, I just want to thank you, Father, for this opportunity and the opportunity that you've given all of us, Lord. Because we've all fallen short. And it took the sacrifice and the replacement of a perfect Jesus Christ in my place on the cross in order for me to be here, Lord. And I just pray you, you never let me forget that, God. Never let me forget my position with you. I thank you, Father, and your Son and the Spirit that you poured out on us. I thank you for pursuing me first and being the only thing in this world that has pursued me first, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us pursue you first, Lord, as you first pursued us. I pray that we would do your will over our own will, Lord, and that the Holy Spirit would guide my words and strengthen them, and that you would strengthen the hearts of everybody who's listening, and what is of yours will stick, Lord, and what is of mine would fade away into memory of God. We, we just invite the Holy Spirit here tonight, and we just thank you, Lord, for your presence. I'm, I'm always reminded of the song, you know, what are we mere mortals for you to consider us, Lord? And I'm just so grateful that you would. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, when they first uh, gave me the prompt tonight, this changed me. You know, the first thing that pops into your head is when I ask you, what changed you? Jesus, of course, right? Changed my life radically, 180. Um, it would be an understatement to say that he changed me. In fact, I would say that he made me a new creation, as Paul would say later on. Um, the me that was left there uh, is not the person that I am anymore. It is through his death, not anything that I did on my own. And uh, I just give a brief testimony. Um, some of you are already pretty familiar with it. A lot of you are good friends of mine and already know me very well. But I came from a pretty rough home. Uh, there just was no God in my home. I don't put any blame to my parents because there was no God in their home either. It was just a long line of people not knowing God. And if anybody's been in a situation like that, it gets pretty bad pretty quick, right? It takes one generation for it to start all spiraling out of control. So... When your parents aren't around, you're also kind of weird because your parents teach you how to be. And so naturally in school, I was a weird kid, kind of always felt like outcasted, which I feel was pretty normal for a lot of kids because a lot of the kids that I became friends with were also outcasts, kind of looking for other people to fit in with. And so we all kind of just fit in where we could. Uh, but somewhere along the line, the other kids had convinced me, you know, there couldn't be a God with the way that my life was going. You know, to have absent parents that cared more about worldly things than a boy that they brought into the world. It very much seemed like a reflection of how God felt as opposed to how the world felt. And 
years and years and years was weighed down by what I thought was depression, but was really an absence of a relationship with God. Uh, so really everything that I was doing was to my own board. I ran my own life. I was the God of my own life, essentially. Uh, by the time I got to high school, I had realized that I've been doing this on my own for about 18 years now, you know? I really need anybody to tell me what to do. So I just started doing whatever I wanted when I wanted to do it, so long as the repercussions didn't seem that severe. Uh, whether it be buying what I wanted to buy, hanging out with who I wanted to hang out with, uh, doing drugs, going to parties, hanging out with girls, and failing to see the the repercussions that would very quickly follow these types of decisions uh, because I hadn't been into that position before. Um, so really, what I often say that I was driving my life against the rail. You know, if I would have been driving much longer, I'm not sure that I would have ended up in a safe parking spot. Let's put it that way. And uh, about eight months prior to the Holy Spirit coming into my life, I had a good friend who found Jesus Christ. You know, I, I'm not certain what his testimony was, but he told me, Ryan, I love you. The way that you're living your life is toward destruction. If you continue living this way, you're not going to be satisfied with the results. And I said to him, no, I'm not really into all this superstitious nonsense. You know, you guys have your ways, but that doesn't really work for me. And for months and months, uh, this guy who just had a love for God poured into me, and I would mock him, and I would degrade him, and I would make fun of his beliefs every time that he tried to talk to me about it. And for months and months and months, he just continued to pray for me and continued to be graceful and talk to me and be an emulation like Christ. And after about eight months, one day I was in his house and he left me alone in his house. He said he had to go for a walk. And the Holy Spirit showed up that day. And I can't even describe what I felt in the story, but everything that I had ever felt about myself not being good enough flew out the window. And it was so tangible and so real for me. I don't know if any of you have ever dealt with depression, but when you deal with depression, it's a literal weight on you. You, you feel like there's weight on your shoulders all the time. When I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, a one-second encounter, that weight left me, and it was gone forever. Everything I had pursued in my life was to get to that moment. I, I had tried drugs, I had tried I had my, hanging out with my best friends, and nothing pulled that weight off of me like that one moment with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, I couldn't deny what had happened to me. Part of me wanted to, the fleshly part of me, but the the new spiritual part of me that had just been born was telling me, like, you can't get past this. Either this happened or it didn't happen. And I knew it happened because the depression was gone. And I couldn't attribute it to anything else after trying for so long. And uh, it was all because somebody prayed for me. You know, he didn't uh, harp on me. He wasn't rude to me or anything like that, even though I was rude to him. It was his battle in the spirit that eventually allowed me to see the Lord. He was praying for my heart to be softened, and I didn't see it. All of his warfare was completely invisible. And while this is happening, I'm in the middle of the battle. I'm literally just sitting in the middle of the battlefield while there is the craziest war possible going on. I'm sure you've seen World War II footage. I bet a spiritual war is even crazier than an atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even imagine what they got going on out there. I, Daniel talks about uh, angels fighting each other on the way to answering our prayers and stuff like that. I honestly don't want to know what it looks like. But I know that boy was duking it out for me for eight months. And after eight solid months of pressing in and persistence, the Holy Spirit touched down on me. On somebody who said, I would never follow God. On somebody who said, God would have to show himself before me. I was, I was the most arrogant of the arrogant. Let me just put it that way. I thought I knew it all. 
And his mercy was extended even to me. And if he can extend it to even me, I don't see anybody that he would reserve it for so long as they're willing. Anybody else ever felt like they're in the middle of a battle? Maybe even right now you feel like you're in the middle of a battle. That's okay. That's actually what we're called to do as Christians. You know, we, we get this idea in our head that I'm saved and now i got to wait to die and go to heaven. But Jesus says the kingdom is here now. If the kingdom is here now, then that means the king is here now, right? If, if the king is here now, then I'm not just Ryan Powell. I'm Sir Ryan Powell. I'm a knight for the king and I'm fighting for him, for his honor and his glory as I'm part of his kingdom. And that's what we're all called to do. Men, women, it doesn't matter. You, you've been given the Holy Spirit to give to others, just like the parable of the talents. It, it's not just for you. It's for him and for his glory and, and for the exoneration of him. And I think as soon as we make it about ourselves and forget the battle that's going on, we don't. The lack of setting makes us act differently when we think it's just us out here navigating our own life, right? So, uh, really, the part of the passage that I wanted to get into here is where Paul says, uh, "Let us live. Uh, let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our salvation." Or, I'm sorry, where is our helmet? The confidence of our salvation. That's a tricky line, you all. Um, you know, th this verbiage that he's using is war. He wouldn't be telling you to put on a breastplate and put on a helmet if it wasn't war. Okay, it's interesting for him to use that phrasing. Peter will use the same phrasing, saying that we're in a spiritual battle. And Paul will talk about it again in Ephesians. You all know the verse about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. So clearly the New Testament writers in their time thought that they were in war. And I wonder why I, a lot of times pass, but we don't act like we're in war anymore. We act like it's all over, the battle is done, and it's like Jesus said, it is finished, but there is still a battle to fight. Even though you defeat the enemy general, there are still people on the, on the battlefield, and they can still kill you. Uh, it doesn't matter if you decrease the enemy's morale, they still want to destroy you. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in now. We're Christians, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can step on the devil, unlike an unbeliever. However, that takes him off. Uh, not just the devil, but we have all sorts of enemies, really, that we don't uh, often pay very much attention to. We like to blame it on the devil because he's the easiest one to blame it on. And we'll get a little bit more into that later. But really, I want to talk about the fact that this war has been going on at least 3,500, 4,000 years. That's the longest war that's ever existed. Y'all know about the war in the Middle East. Everybody talking about, man, the war in the Middle East has been going on forever. It's been going on since the 40s. Well, <laughs> this has been going on 4,000 years. So if there's a war that's been going on for 4,000 years, surely what is being fought over is important, right? If the enemy literally will not retreat because of what they're fighting over, surely it's worth fighting for. So what is the object of this conflict? The human mind. You. What's in between your ears is what everything in this world wants. Your attention, your focus, everything in the world wants it and will do nothing, or will stop at nothing, I should say, to get it. Um, I really like the story in the Exodus. You know, this shows exactly how old what we're going through is, uh, where, you know, you all know uh, Joseph was a righteous man, and within a few generations, another pharaoh replaced the pharaoh that had favor for the Hebrews, and a wicked pharaoh came into place who was very selfish and obsessed with worldly things. And it says in the passage, uh, Moses and Aaron come to talk to the pharaoh to ask to worship God. You ever did that before? You ever asked your boss or something like that? Hey, uh, I got a thing to 
go to with the church, and I need to request this time off. And he says, no way. That's ridiculous. We have all this work to do. There's no way we could possibly stop our production for you to go uh, minister to people. That's ridiculous. And that's exactly what happens in this story. Let's uh, read it. It says, the same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite women. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota because they are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and offer our sacrifices to God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. Anybody ever had to argue with your boss to get Sunday off? I feel like most of us have been in that place at one point or another. There, there's no respect to God from most employers. So if you if you work for an employer that does have respect for God, that's a great place to be. Um, praise God that you're in that opportunity. Uh, but unfortunately, most of the world does not feel that way. Uh, even in ancient Egypt, God is trying to get his people to come into a fellowship with him. And the ruler of the world, the known world at that time, the Pharaoh, is doing everything in his power to stop it. He's not just retaliating against Moses and Aaron, but he's punishing the Hebrews for wanting to worship, right? So he, he basically is trying to, maybe he doesn't realize this, but he's trying to prevent people from connecting to God. And he does this by keeping people busy, by keeping them focused on tasks at hand. Okay, well, instead of uh, using bricks that we provided straw for, we're just going to have you fetch the, the straw. That'll keep you busier than what we had you for previously. You don't want your mind to be idle. You don't want to be lazy in your occupation with God. Um, so really what Pharaoh is doing is saying that his work that he has the Hebrews doing is more important than God's work. Because he thinks that building towers and building cities is more important than worship. Which, to the worldly mind, it probably makes sense. To the natural man, these people are just standing out in the wilderness singing songs. You don't see anything taking place, but it's like I just said, there's invisible warfare happening as we praise. Uh, and we just don't know it until later on when it's revealed to us by the Spirit. Um, and so Pharaoh realizes that if he keeps people busy with their work in the kingdom, then they won't be able to work in God's kingdom. Um, this is before Israel's even established. It's not even a country yet. You know, the, there are no Israelites. Uh, there's no promised land yet. These people are just people in a, in a pagan land that want to worship God. Does that sound familiar? I won't get any more specific than that, but uh, we just go through the same things that they were going through 4,000 years ago. And uh, what do they say? There's nothing new under the sun, right? Then we got uh, Paul pretty much explaining why in Galatians it's the sinful nature that wants to do evil in opposition of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of the sinful nature. So these two are constantly fighting each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. And that's the life we all live, right? You come to church on Sunday and the pastor says, get closer to God. And you say, I know I need to get closer to God. I'm gonna go home today and I'm gonna do that. I'm make time, I'm gonna make space, fill out my prayer closet, get Holy Ghosted up. And then something happens, you know, you're, left it back there, but you get your phone starts going off, right? Hurts might call that the devil shot caller, because anytime it goes off, you got a family, you got to respond to it. You're, you're needed at all times, and good luck focusing on a, a fellowship with the Lord when you got four different people who need something from you. You got your family, your job texting you. If you're part of the ministry, maybe people from the ministry texting you. Uh, these are all things that are fighting 
not even purposefully, they don't realize it, but they're keeping you from spiritual fellowship with the Lord. Um, and it's just because that's the way that the world is. Everything is competing for our attention because of how powerful our attention is. Um, so Paul here is speaking timelessly of the same event that the Israelites were going through. So Paul's not just saying it happened to them. Paul's saying it's going to happen to everybody. No matter what, if we're in the flesh, when you have the spirit, flesh is going to fight against the spirit. That, that's just a natural way of things. Um, Paul, I think, realizes that everything that's happening is because of people and because of the power that we carry within us. Um, even in Romans, he'll later say, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. You ever been to the doctor? And the doctor's like, hey, if you don't stop doing this, this is going to happen. And you're like, oh, I better stop doing that. <laughs> well, the thing about death is we just take that word so lightly. We see it in movies all the time. The Bible says if you don't stop sinning, you're going to die. If you're smoking cigarettes and you're so sick, you feel like you're going to die, you're probably going to stop. But the problem is we don't feel like we're sick. We feel like it's perfectly fine what we're doing. And I think it is doubly dangerous for that reason. It, it not only allows us to continue what we're doing, but it keeps us from being fearful of what we're doing. Um, and he says, letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Amen. Thank you, God. Because without it, I would have a very chaotic mind. Let's just say that. Uh, the sinful nature is always also God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. And this is kind of what Jesus is talking about, too, when he says you can't serve two masters, right? You, By serving your flesh, you're saying that you love yourself more than by serving God. And these things just cannot work in harmony with one another. If you've been in the church and you've been doing something you know you're not supposed to do, it's going to drive you crazy. It's going to drive you crazy until you break. And that break is what's necessary for you to come out of it. That break is what's necessary for you to realize that I am dying. I am killing myself with this action. And just, it sucks because nobody really has to get to that point. We are all given the free opportunity of repentance right now. Yesterday, tomorrow, God allows us to repent whenever we want. But we wait until we're in the hospital bed. We wait until we literally can't sin anymore to repent. And I'm encouraging you to get to a place of repentance before that and realizing that we all need to be humble before God because the cost of our sin is so great. None of us could ever possibly pay back the cost of a single sin, much less a lifelong line of sin like I was living. And Jesus Christ paid it for me. Yes. Amen. He didn't do nothing wrong, y'all. He wasn't doing drugs. He wasn't treating girls wrong. He wasn't cheating on tests. I was. This is a whole laundry list full of sins that just I have. So imagine if we took everybody in this room and combined them together. Not one of us can pay for one of those sins on our own. That's insane to think about. It's, you can't even comprehend how much you owe God for doing what he did for you. It'd be like a surgeon. You have to have open heart surgery. Well, only one man on the planet can do it. Only one man on the planet has the ability to do this. And he changed out your heart. You're not only fixed, you're better than you were before. Would you not be grateful to him? Would you not every day, hey, how you doing? I, I just want to thank you again, man. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't even be here. If it wasn't for you, I would be in the ground. You were the only person who could have done this, and you did it for me. Thank you so much. Instead, I don't know, we, we kind of treat God like a, a butler in, in a lot of ways, I feel. And um, 
don't realize truly what our relationship with is with him is because we don't realize we're in battle. We we forgot that he just took a bunch of bullets to save us from the bullets that were aiming at us. So, really, how valuable is your mind? Valuable enough for Jesus to go to the cross, right? Let's put that into a quantity, though. You know, we're, we're people. We all work jobs. We think in money when we think in value, right? A 30-second ad for the Super Bowl costs $6 million. That means about every one second that you're watching is, what, like $600,000 for a second of your attention. One second. $1.2 million for an ad in the NBA Finals. It's a lot of money, y'all. I don't have $1.2 million to get somebody's attention for 30 seconds. $500,000 per day for, uh, I should say it varies, but for, for one day on Times Square Billboard, it costs up to $50,000. I think I just said $500,000. But it costs up to $50,000 for one day. That's so much money. That's like a whole person's salary for one day of advertisement space full of tons and tons of billboards all around you. Just a chance that they'll catch your attention. They're willing to pay that kind of money for it. The entire marketing industry every year is worth over $232 billion. I, you, you can't even quantify that amount of money in your mind. You know, that's more money than everybody in this church has combined. That's more money than uh, probably the richest people in Douglasville have combined. Uh, more money than the richest person's net worth. It's an insane amount of money. Um, and people willingly spend it every year. Every single year they spend it because they know that without you and without your participation, they cannot exist. If, if you don't go out and buy a product, that company fails. If you don't go out and subscribe to a way of thinking, that way of thinking fails. People have to participate in it for it to be a thing. The only way something can be on God, of course, you know, even if we didn't worship God, he would still exist. But things that we create of this world, if people stop paying attention to it, it goes away. And I can tell you that for sure because there are tons of trends that have existed. Just look at fashion in the United States. I know we're kind of in a time where everything's making a comeback, but there's a lot of things that went out of style and weren't really thought about again for a long time. Uh, if people stop paying attention to something, it, it ceases. But when people pay attention to something, it becomes something, which it doesn't seem like it to the, us. You know, we think, oh, I'm just looking in that direction. But it, it, it literally is an act of creation of interest even if we don't see it that way. And so you might ask, why is it so important what we think? And it's because the way you think, your theology, your relationship with God is the infrastructure of your mind. If, if you, and Jesus even tells the parable, right? If you, if you build on him, it's a firm foundation. Any storm that comes your way will, won't rock you uh, because you're built firmly. But people who don't build on a firm foundation are going to be blown over with no problem. You ever think about that parable? A good built house will last generations. Jesus doesn't say this, but have you, have you ever been in somebody's generational house? They're like, my granddad built this. And you can you can just feel the, the family in the home. You can feel the loneliness, you know what I mean? And it's been there forever. Uh, well, alternatively, a house that's built poorly on bad foundation is going to fall over. Nobody is going to see that house. Really, you wasted all of your time that you spent building it. It was completely fruitless. You're not going to be able to pass it down onto your children. Nobody's going to be able to live in the role that you created. And until you build it on firm foundation, it's going to continue falling over. And that's why what our mind thinks is so important. What our mind thinks. It's, it's like the, the scaffolding of our mind. If you build it well, it's going to stand. If you don't build it well, it's all going to fall apart. 
And Jesus says here, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Sometimes, y'all, it feels like torrents and floodwaters, but I'm still here somehow. <laughs> and it's only because I built on his foundation. I'm only 25, y'all. I haven't built a whole lot, but it did not fall over. <laughs> what, what little I do have is continuing to be built on because the rock that it's on is strong. And, and I know by the time I finish running my race, it's going to be something to pass on to my children. Not just a, 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 a hump of wood and uh, screws that I failed to put together properly because I didn't care enough. He says, uh, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. Y'all, I hate sand. We're about to go to the beach next week. I made a joke to Pastor Ryan. I said, anything will beach you. And I, he took me a little bit too seriously. <laughs> this is terrible, you know. Can you imagine coming home, your whole house collapsed? I can't imagine, y'all. You know, we live in a time where we have security in the way that our houses are built. They're built by professionals. It didn't used to be that way. People used to be building their own house. Can you imagine coming home, your whole house is collapsed? I don't care what problem you got going on mentally. Everything is gone when you don't got nowhere to sleep no more. All your food in there is gone. Everything you have is gone because of poor planning. All of your other problems fly out the window. And you have to, in that moment, realize that the problem isn't the devil. The problem is me. The problem isn't all these people around me who are building their house how they want to build it. You know, my neighbor built his house on the sand. I thought this would be a good place to build my house. It's not his fault just because I chose to follow him. Um, so what really changed me, I think, is realizing that it starts with me and realizing that I can't blame anybody else for things that I'm accountable for. That day in my buddy's house, after he, he left and the Holy Spirit came onto me, the first thing that it made me realize was that my parents had no role in the rest of my life. The rest of my life is up to me. And it was their responsibility up to there to get me to where I was. But from then on out, I'm accountable for my own actions. And I can't blame them for issues that I have going on in my head because I'm my own person. And my relationship with God is different than theirs. Even though they don't understand, I can't uh, hold them to blame for it. As Jesus says, you know, you'll be more accountable based on what you know. And in that moment, God revealed to me that I got to take accountability for what I have going on. It's, it was like simultaneous. One, I'm realizing God is real, and I'm realizing I'm to blame. So I had a moment of, you, know, you, you, you like Georgia Pride, you know what I mean? You're like crying, but you're, you're ashamed, but you're happy. <laughs> because you're just overjoyed. You know how bad you did, but Jesus has decided not to hold it against you. It's a unique feeling, though. I, uh, about a year ago, I had a Camry. It was a 97 Camry. I love that car. And a lady came into my lane, hit me head on. A police officer showed up and uh, basically told me it was too hot to listen to what I had to say and gave me a ticket for failure to maintain lane. I got angry. I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to the judge about this one. I ain't do nothing wrong. So that's exactly what I did. I waited for my court day, finally get into the courtroom. The judge is talking to everybody. And it seems like it's going well. He seems like a nice guy. He being friendly with everyone. But my heart was pounding. Like, y'all, I, I cannot tell you how hard my heart was pounding because I realized that this guy has the power to change my life in this moment. He can say something right now, or I can say something to offend him, and whatever he decides, that's the decision, baby. Whatever he picks is my fate. So even though I didn't do nothing wrong, or 
I'm still terrified standing before this guy. And I'm, and I'm you know, trying to keep cool, trying to profusely sweat. Yes, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. And uh, he, he did cut me a break. But I couldn't help but thinking after that, you know, what is it going to be like to stand in front of the judge when you're guilty? Yeah. yeah. When you know a bunch of stuff that you did wrong, right? That's going to be an awesome feeling, right? Yeah. And uh, shoot, I, I don't have it in the slide, but uh, there's a bunch of scriptures talking about how we're all going to be accountable. And we're all going to be standing before God one day. Right. Yes. And Jesus talks a lot about how us who have the knowledge of the Spirit are going to be even, even more accountable right. than people who don't have it because we're responsible as the ushers of it, as the heralds of God's truth. Um, we are representing God's name and His kingdom, and that is the most important job in the world, really. Um, so, once I realized that the issue originated with me and that I needed to work on myself and the sin within myself, it very quickly became clear to me that the world is designed to make you sin. Uh, there, there just are a bunch of things around us. We just talked about Pharaoh. We know that not worshiping God is sinful. We should be worshiping God all the time. But the Pharaoh is forcing the, the Hebrews not to worship him. So, you know, these are two bad things. I'm not putting blame on the Hebrews, but clearly what should be happening isn't happening. And that's exactly what sin is in our own life. Uh, we have this word sin, such a short three-letter word, and we all got a million different things of what it means in our head. But really all that it is is enmity against God's plan. Everything that God made is perfect and good, and anything outside of that is sin. And anything that you think of is, is your own cleverness, is your own intelligence, God never designed it to be that way. God designed us to accept His wisdom and to not be contrary to what He teaches us. As He is our Creator, He knows what's best for us. Um, however, we, we just have it in us, man. We, we think that we can live however we want. And part of it is the world around us. So if we're in a war and we have to take up arms and accountability and be a soldier in the battle rather than a damsel in distress in the middle of the battlefield, I don't know why everything's going wrong. There's bullets flying all around me, but I, I don't know why. We, we have to first, if we're in battle, realize who our enemy is. And uh, like I said, uh, really the whole world is designed to keep you from having fellowship with God. Earlier I said the first thing that really keeps us in sin, we all know him, Satan. He's, he, he's a celebrity at the church. Anytime something goes wrong, it was Satan. Nothing that we did, it, it was Satan. He, he's, he's working hard against us because we're working for the Lord. And uh, don't get me wrong, Satan absolutely works against believers. Um, as you see here, it's kind of small, I know, but he's the origin of lies. He, uh, him and his demons are the enemies of God's plan. They purposefully blind people to the truth of the gospel. They tempt even the faithful. They tempted Jesus. Can you imagine? That's bold. They tempted Jesus Christ. They knew who he was. And, uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses says that they're the uh, pro-generators of all false religions. So uh, teaching people false theologies. That comes from Satan and his demons. They progenerate all lies. But you also got the flesh. And that's inside you. That's you. And, uh, I know that's kind of a, like a King James term, kind of like an older Baptist term, the flesh. Uh, but that's really your, your sinful desires is what they'll call it in, in the newer translations. And we all got them in us. We cannot help it. As mammalian creatures, there are just things in us that will compel us to act in a certain way. For example, if you were poor and you got to a place of desperation, you might steal to eat. 
we all know scaling is wrong, but the flesh pulls you towards it uh, because you, you just make excuses for yourself. You think I'm natural and it's natural for me to act in this way. And uh, it's in, rela- in reality not, as God has made a specific plan for all of us to follow and abide by. And so long as we're following in his kingdom, all things will be provided to us. Like Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, all things will be provided to you. He talks about, you know, birds and what they need compared to God's interest in us and how much he cares about what we are clothed with and, and what we have to eat. Um, so the flesh really works contrary to all of that. The flesh just wants you to do what makes you feel good in that moment. So, you know, you're hanging out with your girlfriend. What's the harm in sex? That's the flesh. It's, it's going to feel good. So I, I may as well do it because it's going to feel good. When you say it like that, though, it just sounds dumb, doesn't it? I'm, I'm choosing enmity against God because it's going to feel good. And once you get to that point, you realize, wow, okay, it, it really is a lot more about me than Satan and his demons. Yeah, they're designed to tempt me. But they can't make me act on my flesh. They can't make me serve my fleshly desires. Only I can do that. Only I have control of the trigger. But you also have the world. Man, the Bible has some colorful language about the world. It says that the world hates you as they hated Christ. They really hated him. Um, The world persecutes the righteous. They are at enmity with God. And they prefer evil over good. And uh, I, I see that so prevalent in our society today. You know, all you just tell somebody God loves them. And some people get offended, you know. So you smile at some people, they look at you like you're crazy. And uh, it's because the truth is offensive in a, in a world that is shadowed in lies that allow us to be comfortable with constantly indulging in our fleshly desires. The world reinforces that. So really all of these things are working together, right? So Satan is tempting you in the flesh, and the world is telling you that it's okay. <laughs> so you're getting confirmation from outside of scripture, and it becomes an issue of accuracy versus volume. The more that you see something, the more likely you're gonna believe it. It doesn't matter if I tell you the truth one time. If you've seen the the opposite of what I told you 50 times, you're probably not gonna believe me unless you've looked up the information for yourself and verified it for yourself. Uh, Because frequency is just a powerful thing. The more people tell you something, the more likely it is to sink into you, which is why we have to be wise about our discernment. We're going through a period of time right now. I'm sure y'all know, some of y'all know what this is, boiling the frog. If you're not aware, frogs, if you throw them into a bowl of pot of water, they'll jump out immediately. I would too, right? It makes sense to me. But if you gradually increase the heat of the frog in the pot, it'll stay in there. And it'll think nothing has happened until it dies. It'll literally burn to death inside of water. It, it boil alive. And the whole time, it just stays there, completely content. Because frogs don't have the ability to detect change in temperature. They can feel sudden temperature changes, but gradual temperature changes, not so much. That's what we're going through right now. Our culture is very slowly changing. The plan that's in place is longer, or I should say takes longer, than any of us, our lifespan is going to be. I'm 25 years old. They took out prayer in school in the 50s. You know, that was way before I ever got here, but that was a domino being set up, put in place for the culture that we exist today to be able to exist. If prayer was still in school, you wouldn't have one in three kids claiming to be some sort of LGBTQ. You know, I don't mean to be offensive to anybody, but if prayer was still in school, you wouldn't have kids practicing new age spiritualism. You wouldn't wouldn't have kids doing a lot of the stuff that they're doing. Um, But we just don't even know a world where we pray every day. Uh, That was completely removed and and it 
kind of goes back to what I was saying before. The enemy absolutely is working on us. Absolutely is working on us in cooperation with the world. However, it's up to us to realize these things, uh, build a level of discernment in our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and combat against them. We are not damsels in distress. I cannot emphasize that enough. God has placed the power and authority of Jesus Christ into us as believers. I don't know about y'all, but I don't deserve that. And oftentimes, I get overwhelmed by the fact that I don't deserve that. But God has given it to me anyway. Either it's true or it's not. Just because it's hard for you to believe doesn't mean it ain't true. Um, and so that's something that you have to accept in yourself, is that you have the ability to put the enemy under your foot. And if you don't, you, you are the only one who can, in fact. Nobody else is going to be able to tell you not to sin, because if you still want to do it, you're going to do it anyway. This would have never happened if all of these things hadn't been lined up, though, in advance. Here's another one. I'll try not to leave this image up too long. This is the Empire State Building. They put an image of the goddess Kali, the Hindu goddess, on there. To my knowledge, this is the largest idol that has ever come about. This is in 2015. This would not have happened if there were still prayer in school, if there were people adamantly fighting against this. But the, the thing is, the majority of the world isn't Christian anymore, or is only Christian by name, not by practice. And you all recognize this one? This is a new iOS emoji, right? Yeah. It's completely contrary to what we know to be the truth, but it's what the world is pushing on people. You're a kid, you're not thinking about it. This is just what's being put in front of you. And like I said a second ago, it's more about volume than it is about accuracy. And the truth is very powerful. Don't get me wrong, the older you mull on it, the, old, the, the longer you chew on it, the more you'll realize that the truth is what it is. But especially for young minds and people who are very impressionable, Volume is really all that they're looking at. You know, so-and-so told me this, and then somebody else told me that too. It must be true. That's, that's how easy it is to approach and read a lie. Now, all three of these things have something in common. The world, Satan, and our flesh. They have one thing in common. They want you to sin. That's, that's their whole purpose, is to get you to sin. And uh, it got, it, you got to wonder why, right? Like we just talked about how it's a 4,000-year war. War is expensive. You know, they cost resources. It costs time. You know, why? Why? What, what is the point? It, it makes me think about uh, when I was in school. It's so natural to us. I was in school probably about 13, 14 years old, started getting the question, have you lost your virginity yet? Have you lost your virginity yet? Dude, you haven't lost your virginity yet? You're not cool. What's wrong with you? What is up with that? That, that is a perfect representation of the world wanting to destroy purity. Yeah. Anything that is pure and good, they have to destroy it. Because it, if you're good and pure, it exposes them as evil. Yeah. You can't exist in the same room as them without them being offended. Because the truth is offensive. And if you carry the truth within you, they're going to be offended by you. That's just the way that it is. They were offended by Jesus. He wasn't me. I mean, he, he had a couple of unkind words to the Pharisees, but... Beyond saying things that maybe hurt people's feelings, he didn't do nothing to nobody. And they hated him because he revealed the wickedness of themselves just by existing. So, uh, what is sin? You know, like I said a second ago, it's transgression against God's laws. But the Bible is so colorful with the language that it uses. This admittedly is not from the Bible. This is Sun Tzu. This is, uh, if you read the book, The Art of War, which I read a little bit in preparation for this, talking about war. He says, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, this isn't the part that I thought it was. This is God talking to uh, Cain. I apologize, not 
not son too. This is God talking to Cain uh, when Cain is thinking about killing Abel. And he's saying, sin is crouching at your door. Yeah. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Wow, what a rich line. He, he's literally saying, he's like personifying sin as participating in transgressions against God's law, yes. But additionally, sin wants to rule you. It's alive. It's animate. It's not just a bad deed. It's not just me breaking a rule on the list of God's rule list, the Ten Commandments. It is a living thing that wants to control you, wants to occupy your life, wants to take over all of your relationships, wants to be you. Uh, because without you, it can't exist. <laughs> just like I was talking about in our focus earlier. It, it's beyond me that we know this and are still eluded by it. We know that it wants to kill us, and we still accept the sweet talk from it. Because it feels like it's ourself, right? I feel like it's me. I'm going to make a confession, y'all. I got an ice cream addiction. <laughs> I can't keep a pint in the freezer. I'm so serious. If I keep a pint in the freezer, if I start eating it, I'll eat like half the pint. I'll find myself back in the kitchen eating the rest of it. And I'm like, man, I, I don't feel full. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to be eating this, but it's so good. Y'all, the thing about it is, I know better. And afterwards, when I'm sitting there in pain, I'm thinking, well, I know better. <laughs> but it's the thing inside of me that wants me to eat the ice cream. It's saying, Ryan, you know this is going to feel so good. You know the ice cream is going to be so good. Your stomach's not going to hurt like last time. It's not a big deal. It's just ice cream. The Bible doesn't talk about ice cream. You're being silly. But uh, it, it's important because it, it's your self-control. If you don't have the ability to control yourself in little moments like that, how are you going to control yourself when it comes time to doing something important? When you're not controlling yourself, who is? Sin. <laughs> Right? People often say that they just have a phrase, what came over you? That's a very literal phrase. What got into you? That's a very literal phrase. Y'all remember what happened to Judas? Satan got into him, right? And he did something he shouldn't have done. And he felt very guilty about it. That's exactly what happens to us. Sin is much more than doing something bad. Sin is agreeing to enter into bondage. Sin is saying that God's rules aren't good. And uh, it's, it's literally enmity against them. It, no matter how we look at it, it's us shaking our fist at them and saying, bring it on, really. Uh, even if we don't see it that way. So, is it really that bad for me to eat ice cream? Is it really that bad for me to make myself sick? Is it really that bad for Adam to eat an apple off the tree? Why would God put the apple on the tree if he knew he's, he's on an issue, right? He has foresight. He knows Adam... He's going to eat the fruit. Why would he make the fruit if he thinks Adam might eat the fruit? Is it fair for him to punish us since he made the fruit that Adam ate, that he knew Adam was going to eat? I think for, for us to answer these questions, you have to realize exactly how bad sin is. Sin is so bad, like I said earlier, you can't pay it back. The blood of the perfect Lamb of God had to be slain by sinners scoffing, spitting, mocking in order for us to be made in right status with God. It's that bad. All human debts in the billions come from the sin of one man eating an apple because he did contrary to what God told him to do. All human suffering comes from that one sin or is originated in that one sin. And all human suffering is a reflection of just how bad sin is. When you see Jesus on the cross, that's your sin. That should be you 
And oftentimes we disconnect those things in our head. We don't realize that that's how ugly sin is. When you're watching uh, The Passion of the Christ and you're like, oh my gosh, my Lord, that's your sin. That is literally anything good feels that way when it sees you sinning because it realizes that you're destroying yourself. You're destroying the temple of God. And beyond that, you're harming God's kingdom simply by caring his name and continuing to do what you know is contrary. You're destroying yourself because your flesh is at war with the spirit in you. It really is bad. It's so bad that they had to kill all the Canaanite men, women, and children. They didn't have a sacrifice available for them. Sin was so bad they had participated in it. All of those people had to die. Uh, Jesus describes sin in a parable as the unpayable debt. He says that there's a man. Uh, the, the parable is about a man who uh, owes money to another man, and the man, the rich man, allows him off on his debt. And then the man who owed money goes and punishes his servant. Y'all know the story. Jesus compares that debt to 10,000 talents. Y'all know what a talent is? We read it in the Bible a lot. I, I did a little bit of research uh, for the sermon. A talent is worth over $1.4 million. One talent. It's over 33 grams of gold. It's literally a, a weight unit of gold. 33, I'm sorry, not 33 grams, 33 kilograms. Forgive me, I misspoke. 33 kilograms, that's over 70 pounds. So if you could imagine like two beepers full of gold or something like that. I don't know how to quantify 70 pounds outside of the weight of dogs. I apologize. Um, but that's a lot of money. And that's just one talent. Jesus is saying your one sin is worse than a debt of 10,000 talents. That's, I don't know how much money, but that is a lot of money. Um, something that I couldn't possibly come up with myself. It, it's literally the largest unit of measurement that they had. Um, scholars who study the Bible uh, wager that, or they speculate that it's equivalent to 20 years' worth of common wages. One, one town. And Jesus says sending is worth 10,000 of those. So, uh, can you imagine? You know, y'all have been to the hospital, and they hit you with that fat hospital bill, and like $131,000 because I broke my leg. Well, imagine, you know, $1.4 million. You're never getting up underneath that debt. You are crippled for the rest of your life by this thought of how much you're going to owe this institution. And God has decided to just do away with that. It's insane. It would be like if Bill Gates was like, hey, I know you took out a bunch of student loans. I know you made a bunch of bad investments, but I got you. In fact, I'm going to give you an extra million on top of what I'm bailing you out for. It's that good, y'all. Uh, it's more than him giving us an extra million because he's given us progenerative life. He's given us not only endless life in ourselves, but the ability to bring forth life in others. Yeah, man, that's such an honor and a blessing to be able to do what Jesus did for us. I, I can't begin to tell you how it makes me feel. Um, I feel like we just live very much in the times of Exodus, I feel like. The, the Hebrews in Egypt were persecuted and kept from worshiping. And uh, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians grew increasingly wicked. That's the world that we were talking about, right? The Pharaoh keeps them from worshiping. That's the demons in the Pharaoh, Satan and his demons, keeping them from gathering. And then once they finally make it out of the world and the, the accuser, they get into the desert and the first weighs them down. They think to themselves, man, we, we wish we were back in bondage. It was a lot easier that way. My life was simpler and I was taken care of. And aren't we the same way so many times when we enter into a place of challenge in our walk with the Lord? We think, man, I don't think I'm ready for this. Or I liked it much better how it was before. Or what I used to cope before helped me a lot more than 
taking 30 minutes to get into the spirit and have a one-on-one with God. The thing is, most people don't really hate suffering, or most people hate suffering, but they don't hate sin. And they don't see these things as related to one another. They suffer and they disconnect it from the fact that it is the sin of themselves and their community around them. And so they think they're just hurting. Just like the Israelites, they, they couldn't put a word on it, but they just liked what it was before. They knew that they were taken care of better. And you know what happens to them? They did not make it to the promised land. They're, they're whining, they're groaning. God calls them rough necks, stiff necks. Some translation, I like that, stiff neck. I think that's how we are a lot of times, stiff neck. Well, I'm saying God's already got me covered, and it doesn't matter if I do this or that. You know, I'm good to go. Yeah. Um, I feel like it wouldn't be fair to have a conversation about fighting sin without including the scripture about the full armor of God. And, you know, if y'all been in the church for a little while, you're familiar with it. But finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. He kind of just recap. Or I, I recap what he was saying, but y'all know what I mean. <laughs> Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. That firm foundation, y'all. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You ever tell a lie and your stomach gets squeamish? You gotta wear the belt of truth, right? With the breastplate of righteousness in place, right? That protects you from arrows that are coming after you from the enemy. Your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Got to get out there and share the word. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Or of the evil one. That's impressive. I've never seen a shield with a fire extinguisher, but the Spirit's got one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So, I think really the main point that I want to hit home here is that we have to know who our enemy is. And oftentimes, we as Christians, being in church together every weekend or however often that we're together, we find issues with each other. You know, each other's theology, what each other believe, the way each other worship, the way someone speaks to Jesus. If you call him Jesus or if you call him Yeshua, if you call him, uh, if you end your prayer with, uh, in the name of Jesus, there are a lot of different reasons in the church that we can find ways to bigger. If you look into church history, it's just full of divides, constantly being divided, which is so contrary to what Paul and the other writers of the New Testament teach. You should not be divided in the body in any way. And really, what I want to hit on is that you need to use your spiritual power to fight sin and not people. Because we got a lot of power in this, baby. We got a lot of truth. And that truth is destructive if you don't wield it properly. Just like this last verse said, it's a sword, y'all. If you walk around pointing a sword at your loved ones, how do you think they're going to act? Well, we have to correctly divide the word because of how dangerous it is. It's like walking around on fully loaded, y'all. You can't just keep your finger on your trigger all the time, and you have to realize the situation that you're in. Um, I don't know about y'all, if I'm in battle for the Lord, I'm not swinging until He tells me to. It's it's by the Spirit that we live, and by the Spirit that we should have fellowship as well. You know, oftentimes we come to people, y'all, I know that you're in this sin, and 
you, you really need to come out of it, or you're in danger of hellfire, or uh, I don't know what's going to happen to you. Do you really think shaming this person? Uh, let, let me first say, absolutely, we as Christians need to keep each other accountable. But putting each other into a place of shame is not going to cause somebody to come out of it. Because it wasn't, it wasn't shame that caused you to follow the Lord Jesus. It was realizing you were messed up and that you needed the Savior. And He had great love for you. And that's exactly what we need to be. We need to help people realize that this world is not okay. However, we don't need to be their enemy. And we don't have to be their enemy to help them realize the world isn't okay. Most people already got a clue, y'all. There's crazy stuff going on all around us. And most people are just waiting for a word of confirmation of, yeah, okay, this ain't right. And uh, we all know that. (laughs) And we just have to bring it to them. I think we just have to learn how to wield this power because we just blow each other up all the time. You know, church hurt. That's literally where that word comes from, right? We wield the power against each other. We need to be fighting in the spirit. When you see someone you care about in sin, obviously make them aware of it. Uh, don't cast judgment against them. Don't accuse them because uh, God is the judge and Satan is the accuser. And we're in the middle doing the Lord's work of grace and mercy. And uh, when, you, when you know somebody's doing sin, pray for them, y'all. My, my friend prayed for me for eight months. I didn't have no love for God at all. I had no faith. I, I was living in the worst sinful time of my life. He didn't tell me I was a loser. He didn't tell me that I was going to hell. He prayed for me in his closet. He told me the truth. He told me the truth, laid it out for me. I made fun of him. We split up, and he prayed for me for months and months and months. He, he was working that spiritual sword, y'all, and it's because he cared. Uh, it, it wasn't because he wanted to see me destroyed. It wasn't because he wanted to see justice come against me. It's because he wanted to see me restored. And that's what we should have for other people as well. Right. If you see somebody who's in sin, they are a prisoner, y'all. They, if they knew the cost of what they were doing, if they knew the effect of what they were doing, they wouldn't do it. Right. In the same way that your knowledge and the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives you is what keeps you from sin, right. that's what they need too. And he's put it in us to bring to them. It's like Jesus says, all you got to do is plant the seed. If if it's meant to grow, it's going to grow. I just really want to hammer on how important it is to pray for the people that you may... It doesn't even have to be your enemy, right? Just somebody who you think is doing wrong. Because I'll tell you what, when I pray for other people in that way, God starts revealing stuff in my heart. Why do you care so much about this? Is it your business, what my relationship is with this person? I'm like, oh, God, you know, I didn't realize I need to humble myself before I'm worried about what this other person has going on. Um, So I realize we're about out of time here. I just want to encourage you all. Ask God. God, examine me. What can I work on in myself? God, help me find the the plank in my eye before I try to pick out the speck in my brothers and blind him for it. God, teach me how you save people and not how people of the world try to save people, Lord. I think as soon as we start fighting our battles in the spirit, it's really not going to see much of a fight anymore. People come to me and man, so and so in my life, they just don't get it. Well, are you arguing with them or are you praying for them? You know, it's like Mama June says, you just got to press in. Yeah. Our God is so good. You should be praying as if he's already done it. Because it's like the psalm says, there's no good thing that he will withhold from those who do his will. No good thing, y'all. I can't imagine all the good things, but God wants to give them to us. So if you ask for it and you pray as if he's been giving it to you, so long as it's in his, in his will, he's going to give it to you, y'all. So here's how we have to fight sin. we got to take up our cross daily and die to ourselves daily. We're no good to anybody else by pointing a finger. Pointing a finger is not going to change the world. I'll tell you that right now. We're, all, we're doing that a lot right now in church. Y'all
Exactly. Uh, if one of your members calls you to sin, get rid of it. You know, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. Notice Jesus is not talking about cutting off other people's hands. Yeah. And gouging out, out other people's eyes. He said, you, make more on your sin. Kill what's killing you. Right. Don't focus on the speck in your brother's eye. We all know that one. And uh, I really like what Paul says, serve each other as you would Christ. Amen. You know, that's so far beyond us to serve each other like we would Christ. If we treated each other like we were all Jesus Christ, we would just all be cooking by our all the time. If the Lord was in the room, and he is in the room, that's the crazy thing. We would all be peaceful all the time. So with a couple more minutes, I'm going to give you a few keys. Uh, just based on what we went over in Scripture, you got to be sober and awake. If you're asleep right now in a time of war, people are going to die. I'm sorry. And it's going to be on you because you didn't blow the trumpet. You have to identify sin by the Word of God, not by what you think is wrong or right, by what the Word of God says. you got to put on the armor of God. Yes. you got to think about how sin is killing you and your loved ones. That should motivate you right there. I don't care if your loved ones die. I don't know how to help you. You know, that, that you pray if you don't care about your loved ones dying because only God can help in that. Kill sin within yourself before tackling other people's sin. Otherwise, you're no good. You're really blind. Trying to do surgery on somebody else. God, God, keep me out of that situation, please. Uh, and you have to battle with the sin in the person, not the person. Yeah. And just, just to show y'all, no, I'm not lying to you. Paul even says here that I want to do good, but I do bad because of the sin that lives in me. It's not me. He says here, uh, I'm not the one who's doing wrong. It's the sin that lives in me who does it. That's what y'all need to be praying against. And when you see somebody doing something you don't like, don't worry so much about that person. Pray against that sin. That sin is your enemy. This person and what they think is, is important, obviously. They have all the power that a person has. But what's more important is making sure to get rid of that sin. Because it's dangerous and it's going to take everything. Just you being around and it's going to hurt you. And then here Paul says that we need to live in harmony with each other and don't be too proud and enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that we know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Right. That's that finger point of y'all. Do things in such a way that you can see, or everyone can see you're honorable. Yes. Do things, do all that you can live in peace with everyone. And uh, that's such good instructions, y'all. Yeah. That's such good instructions, and if we could live by them, the church would be changing everything. <laughs> We'd be taking over the world. Uh, so, just to kind of go back to what we were talking to at the very beginning, we got to be sure that we're clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love. Not faith in persecution, faith in love. Faith in God and love for our brothers. Uh, anything else is not going to protect us from the enemy. I'm telling you right now. If you have enmity against your brother, the enemy is going to get you. Come on. That's so good. Okay, that's all I have to say, y'all. Let's uh